This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. What are the most important election issues to Zoomers and who's getting your vote on October 21st? Every Monday we hear the results of the Zoomer primary where you can cast your intentions at zoomervote.ca. While Libby Snymer was celebrating the Jewish New Year, I was joined this past Monday by Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer of CARP, A New Vision of Aging, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. In our last uh, meeting, the it was right after the blackface scandal, and the results we felt were skewed a bit. It, it seemed to be an over-emphasis on liberals sort of making up for, um, try, not, not trying to cover up for Trudeau, but just trying to sort of uh, repair his image. So mm-hmm. we had a we had a huge discrepancy in the vote last time. The Liberals were at seventy five percent, and the and the Conservatives were at nineteen percent. So it, it was kind of we we, we were just going to write off last week as a as a blip. And and so this week um, we closed the polls on uh, Sunday, and it's a much closer result. We have the Conservatives at thirty two percent, the Liberals leading at thirty four percent. The Greens up to 14%. That's a huge rise. And, okay. I, and I owe that a lot to the uh, climate strike. The NDP holding at 5% and the People's Party 2% and Undecided is up again at 11%. Okay, so this poll is much more reflective of other polls in I the think market. So. If, you, if you look at the national average, depending which poll you look at, uh, McLean's 338 poll, it sort of is is a... Composite poll, and they they have the parties tied 30, 34 for the conservatives, thirty four for the liberals. So. so every week, do you erase everything from the week before and start over, or do you add to what was already? Well, there? we're doing both. I mean, we're keeping a, a running vote, so we have the, the liberals are winning the running vote. You know, running away, they're 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 forty three percent to the conservatives, thirty three percent because of last week's because blip. of the blip. Okay, and, but they they've been holding the lead. To be fair, they've been holding the lead by five percent for most of the. Uh, polling since it began in August. So uh, they, it's been a liberal 5% lead, 40 to 35, and it's now 43-33. Let me just maybe throw some numbers. I know we've been, there are a lot of statistics that your audience is listening yeah. to right now, but from CARP's perspective, in our recent survey, and again, there's surveys that are done all, over, all, all across the country, but in our recent survey, 22% expressed that they were undecided about who they were going to be voting for. Now that's much higher than the national average, which is which yeah. is pretty interesting, 22%. Yeah. And they and they also told us that they're still trying to get to know uh, each of the candidates. Of course they know Justin Trudeau, but um, each of the other candidates. So I think that's a really interesting number. Um, mm-hmm. people assume that that seniors know who they're going to be voting for this election, not necessarily the case when it comes to cart members. 
Uh, next Monday will be two weeks from the federal election, and we will be getting our ZoomerVote.ca results then as well. But I guess uh, now to drive people to ZoomerVote.ca, Peter, what is the incentive to re- to recording your intentions? Well, you know, we, we just like to gauge where older voters are at, you know, um, not only on the issues, but also on the leaders. Um, we run weekly polls to on, on new developments so we can you know, see where they're standing. And, and it just gives us a, a general overall picture of, of where our demographic is on, on election 2019. And I would say from Carr's perspective, just as sort of a closing statement, tomorrow's National Seniors Day. Yes. And this is an important opportunity for us to renew our calls in this election period for a national senior strategy, one that really reflects the diversity of our audience, because we know that people are living longer and the seniors audience is the senior demographic is growing. Um, and there are a lot of issues that seniors care about. So we've been calling for a national senior strategy and we'd like to see, uh, each of the parties, uh, include that. In the and moment. just before I let you go, Marissa, just in terms of that national senior strategy, what do CARP members want to see in that, that they haven't heard yet from the leaders? For example, just one of the issues that CARP has long advocated for is is increased supports for caregivers. Uh, we know that there are a million people over the age of 65 that are providing unpaid care for a loved one. They do not have enough supports. Those supports that exist are woefully inadequate. They're hard to get. It's a complicated mess. And we think that each one of the parties should address that issue in this election. Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine. Listen on Monday after the noon news to hear the latest Zoomer primary numbers and have your say until then at zoomervote.ca. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. It was a lively conversation on Fight Back this past Tuesday with our strategy panel weighing in on a new Angus Reid survey of the 67 closest riding races from the 2015 election. Overall, the Liberals won those with a nine-point advantage. At this point, the Conservatives are in the lead of voter intentions in those ridings by 6%. Joining Libby Snymer to discuss... Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto. Karen Stintz, former city councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. And John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Libby, I always say that with polls, you know, they're a snapshot in time, uh, except for when the Conservatives are leading. Then, of course, I I comment quite positively (laughs) about the polls and say how the right they are and how they're capturing the essence of of voters in uh, in Canada. But uh, but no, polls are that they're a snapshot in time, I think. And and, and what we're seeing now more and more are more and more individual polls that are out there and and they all have their own specific questions that they ask and their methodology and all that kind of stuff. And now we've got uh, aggregate polls that we're hearing as well through CBC and other other channels where they're aggregating all these polls and some numbers, and it shows a tight race no matter what. And I think a couple of polls are showing that the Conservatives have taken a lead by a point or two or three in some cases, uh, which falls within the margin of error. But what's interesting about with the polls that you were just talking about with respect to the ridings, and that is every party has their own internal polling that they do strategically. And they will look at ridings, they will look at regions, they will look at provinces, and they'll see if there's any shift that's happening. And if there's a shift in the positive, they will go and make sure that their leader's there and ensure 
that that they shore up some of the support, especially as you get into the second half of the campaign. Um, but I'm encouraged, I think, by the fact that that there is a shift. And I've always said that there's going to be a lingering effect on the campaign that at some point is going to is going to really take off. And there's two more milestones yet to go. One is the debates are going to happen in the next week or two, uh, and the other one is Thanksgiving weekend, where long weekends and campaigns are actually quite pivotal in some cases because people and families get together and they talk about and they issues. Argue. And they argue and they, but, but we've seen a lot of cases, uh, where after a long weekend in a campaign, polls start to, people start to formulate their opinions and start to make decisions and, and it affects the polling down the road. Karen, what do you make of uh, that specific look at the close ridings from last time? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, heading into the 2015 election, I think everyone thought it was Stephen Harper's to lose. And many conservatives were surprised that he lost it. So I'm not, it's not surprising that those uh, 67 or so ridings were so close and were so contested. Um, it's interesting to hear that the leaders are only coming to the areas where there, there's a tight race, uh, as it was Andrew Shear was out at Variety Village yesterday. So we'll see how tight the race is in Scarborough Southwest. Uh, if Justin Trudeau comes, then we'll know it's a tight race. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, um, I do agree with John, um, that, I think this Thanksgiving weekend will be a critical point. Sometimes elections are already decided before the long weekend, and then it, it, it becomes a non-event. But I think this election, there's still a lot of volatility. Charles? Well, I, I bumped into John yesterday, and we had a great chat about what is exactly going on in this campaign. Because, I mean, over the last two and a half months, if you sort of look at the aggregate polling, um, it has been flat. I mean, the two main parties have been pretty much deadlocked within statistical error margin of error. Um, and so we talked about a lot of different factors. And when I got home last night, I was telling my wife about this great conversation I'd had with John about what's really going on in the election. And my wife said, uh, no one cares. No one knows it's happening. <laughs> happening Canadians just haven't tuned in I mean that and that is a reality of, of this campaign and the other thing is that change just does not appear to be a driving force and you know that was obviously getting rid of Stephen Harper was one of the the driving forces of the 2015 campaign that sentiment really doesn't exist this time around John what do we look at for the coming week a week yesterday uh, is the first big debate yeah, so I think the debates are going to be key. It's the first ones that the Prime Minister is going to be part of. And I think all of the leaders, including Maxime Bernier, has been invited to the uh, to two, set, the, the two um, uh, commissioned approved uh, debates. But that's going to be a milestone for sure. I think Canadians will, will, will be tapping into that as well. Uh, and then I think Thanksgiving weekend, right after that, I think it'll be two key points to see where this campaign breaks. Okay, Karen? Yeah, I think the leader debates are always one that we watch, but it's really no one knocks it out of the park at a leader's debate. It's really whether they make a big error. And so my guess is that they will all do fine and it really won't move the needle one way or the other. I think the big thing that is worth paying attention to is if climate change does continue to become a major rallying cry for Canadians, how does that translate to the green vote? What happens to the NDP? And then where do those votes get siphoned from? I think that will be interesting to watch. Okay, Charles? Yeah, I think the dynamic around climate change is really if it becomes a defining issue among those who are determined to vote for the next government, be it liberal or conservative. And yeah, if, if they get does, out there. And if it does become a defining issue in that regard, then Justin Trudeau will do extremely well. Um, if... With regards to the debates, um, I mean, it's going to be a crowded house on all three nights. I mean, you've got five participants in the English debate. You've got six in the, in the Quebec debates, courtesy of the, the Bloc Québécois leader, who's someone to be watched. 
Charles Bird, managing principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group in Toronto. Karen Stins, former city councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. And John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. This could be of interest to you if you've been taking the drug Zantac, used for heartburn and morning sickness. Zantac has been recalled. Health Canada has stated it's looking into a potential danger with the medication because it may contain unsafe amounts of a compound called NDMA, which may be carcinogenic. Libby Snymer was joined by pharmacist Billy Chung to find out more. The way it started is that in the U.S., and as much as I'm aware, there's a, there's a pharmacy in the U.S. that tests their drugs that they use. And it's it's what they consider third-party testing. So it's not done by FDA or whatever. And uh, back in the summertime, I think somewhere around June time, they tested and found this NDMA. This is the chemical that is... Um, Known to be carcinogenic in larger quantities. Um, so, but it's also a chemical that's an impurity that's found in meats and milk and dairy products. Like it's in our water. Like it's, it's there. It's just that as long as you're not taking too much of it, generally we think that it's fine. Um, so this pharmacy found this chemical, told the FDA. FDA is like, huh, okay, let's kind of analyze and look at this. And, uh, what happened was that, uh, about a week ago, I think it was the 13th of September, uh, the Health Canada did a release that basically said, hey, we're going to assess this. We know that there's this NDMA. But this is after the U.S. The US. recalled it. I, the U.S. actually didn't recall it either. So you have to kind of look oh. at the actual information in terms of whether it's actually an official recall or not. What you found in the U.S., though, is that there are voluntary uh, recalls by some of the manufacturers of uh-huh. this uh, drug. And at the same time, you probably saw in the media, some of the pharmacy chains did a massive recall as well. And so what happened was that there's kind of this blend of what's officially recalled versus what the companies have voluntarily done. And not all the companies did it because it's not all the ranitidines. And I think right now in Canada, there's 10 plus companies that make ranitidine. So it's not just one. And uh, as it stands right now, uh, this week, earlier this week, four more companies said, okay, we're recalling <laughs> our ranitidine as well. The other thing I think to keep in mind is that this is not a recall from a consumer or patient level. So in other words, it's you, you've seen recalls in the past where it says, hey, anybody with this drug, bring it back to your pharmacy. Right. And that's not the type of recall this is. This recall is simply just from the distributor down to the retailers and they say, hey, okay, we're no longer going to send it out and you can't order it anymore. What's out there can still be given out. The reason for that too is that because of the, the nature of this, and they're trying to figure it out, is that at the end of the day, it's not something that's going to cause harm right away necessarily. It's not something that you're going to take and, oh no, I'm going to feel sick or it's going to be causing something right away. It, it It's over time. So it's one of these that it's the drug's been around for decades. <laughs> I think, you know, the, if we're going to look at kind of the short message to people out there is that if you currently take it, this is probably the opportunity to go speak to your doctor, your pharmacist to say, hey, what should I do? Do I still need this? Because I'll tell you, as a as a pharmacist, most people shouldn't need to take this on a regular basis. So the whole concern about the large quantities and uh, issue isn't that big of a factor. Now, there are some people that take it every day. There's such situations, but there's alternatives. There's also other medications that are in the same class. There's other medications that work better than a, that are in a different class. They could be alternatives to those people that have to take it. But this is the this is the time to co- have a conversation, a review, evaluation. 
do we need this anymore? Is there something else you can do instead? Is there um, non-drug things you can do? If it's for heartburn, typically what you're trying to do is avoid the foods, avoid the timing, don't lie down after you eat. I mean, there's a whole bunch of tips you can do to help avoid some of that stuff as well. If you do take Zantac, yes. should you stop taking it? Should you keep doing what you're doing You know, in the interim before you can speak to a pharmacist or something? So I would say if you were prescribed ranitidine by your doctor for whatever specific reason, whether it's an ulcer or whatnot, and it, it's being treated for that, you don't stop it. Okay, continue to take it and then make an appointment with your doctor or at least go in to see your pharmacist and speak to them and see what you, how you should proceed. So in other words, for the, those people taking a prescription, the indications are different than simply just heartburn. Okay, so that's okay. the first layer. For those people that are taking it over the counter, um, those are typically kind of self-medicated. Um, it's heartburn, so it's not like a life-threatening, you know, issue necessarily. Uh, if you want to stop because you have concerns of whether uranididine is one of the ones that have been recalled by the company or whether it's one of the ones that is affected by this impurity, the NDMA, then stop taking it. Deal with the heartburn for a bit, make your appointment, go speak to your doctor or your pharmacist and see what to do. I think those are probably the simplest things to uh, follow through on right now. Pharmacist Billy Chung in conversation with Libby Snymer. Listen for more on the Zantac recall on the Zoomer Weekend Review tomorrow after the noon news. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Tuesday was National Seniors Day and a good time to talk about retirement savings. There are some unsettling numbers in a new poll from BDO Canada, which finds that 32% of people over 55 have no retirement savings and 34% are not on track to save enough for retirement. In fact, the number of Canadians not prepared for retirement has increased since last year. Libby spoke about the trend with Keith Emery Director of Operations at Credit Canada Debt Solutions, and Doug Jones, President BDO Canada Limited. What we did see is that the amount of debt that Canadians are carrying is increasing in all forms. And for a number of years now, we've been trying to talk about getting people on budgets and um, addressing their long-term financial goals. So as you saw a retirement savings rates decreasing, uh, that is a concern to us. So I'm not sure it was, I'd say it was surprising, but it was definitely a concern and something we'd like to get people to address. Keith, we also know that a, a growing number of seniors carrying debt, that used to be a total no-no. Yeah, it's, it's not a surprise to me. Um, I remember from counseling days, even, you know, many years back, seeing a lot of seniors coming in who are living on very limited incomes and I think it, it's easy with the cost of living rising and wages staying relatively stagnant. Um, as Doug alluded to, sometimes they're using credit to fill that hole. And then they get caught in kind of a debt spiral where the, the interest rates on the, those forms of credit just start to sink them even deeper into a, a position of not being able to save. In Canada, the fastest growing statistic of people having to file a bankruptcy or consumer proposals are actually seniors 65 plus. And the reason for it is carrying debt into retirement. As you enter into retirement, if you drop to a, a lower uh, retirement income funded by company pension plans, CPP, or your personal savings, your income generally declines. So the goal, of course, is to enter retirement with as little debt as possible. 
Keith Emery, when you start going through a budget uh, with people who are in a bit of trouble financially, what do you find is, say, the low-hanging fruit, if there is any? What do you find that people are able to cut or maybe aren't aware they're even spending? What are those kinds of things? Uh, that's. I have to admit, when it comes to seniors on limited budget, that is a tricky question. Um, because meeting with some of the seniors that I've seen, when you look at the, the budgets that they have and the way that they, they live, it, it's pretty hard to think of how they could be any more frugal. But nonetheless, um, there is opportunities in some cases to try to reduce some of the discretionary spending. One area that, uh, that can make a pretty big difference in your budget is grocery spending. Mm-hmm. Um, some people treat it as sort of a fixed expense. Um, but in reality, there's, you can make a lot of different decisions when you go to the grocery store. Um, so some seniors, I think, are exceptionally good at reducing these expenses. You know, they're coupon cutters. They're always looking for deals. Where you choose to shop can make a big difference. Um, in terms of some of the other fixed expenses, you know, I'm always af- afraid to send or to hand out suggestions in some cases because it may seem, I don't know if it's patronizing is the word for it, but uh, more radical solutions could be sharing living expenses. In some cases, we see some seniors moving back in with children to try to reduce their, their living costs or downsizing. Um, so those are some other areas that you can focus on to try to find some savings in your budget. We do have a record debt-to-income ratio in Canada. That is at all demographics. The more debt you have, the more interest uh, expenses you have. With the ever-increasing cost of living and wages not really keeping on par with the growth in costs, the downward pressure on something in the budget has to be eliminated and it becomes retirement savings, I do see the situation getting worse unless people start really trying to focus on, as Keith pointed out before, if you go into your budget, what's discretionary, what's non-discretionary, where could I make some adjustments in order to make this work? You know, we'd like to see a change in in cultural attitudes around money um, is, you know, potentially one thing that's got to happen. And unfortunately, maybe the catalyst for that is that things have to get bad. I wish it wasn't that way. I mean, I kind of look at inside my workplace because we all deal with it on a day-to-day basis, seeing how people live. There's sort of this culture um, around money that exists inside the workplace where everybody just by nature is very, very conscientious of what they spend, and they all have a bit of an allergic reaction to debt. Um, I know that there are circumstances that make that difficult sometimes, but I would like to see in general people be very suspect of taking on high interest debt and and just maybe readjust um, some of their expectations around uh, around um, what they can and can't afford. Keith Emery, Director of Operations at Credit Canada Debt Solutions, and Doug Jones, President BDO Canada Limited. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Tom phoned while driving on the 427, hands-free, of course, and said he's turned off when Justin Trudeau compares Andrew Scheer to Doug Ford. Justin Trudeau and the liberals attacking Doug Ford and Stephen Harper is really getting sort of tiresome. 
because Justin can't run on his own record. He has to attack Doug Ford and Stephen Harper. But having said that, I really like Andrew Shear's announcement today of cutting funding to rogue terrorist countries. And instead of giving terrorist countries the money, spending the money on Canadians. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Barry in North York, who called to say it's important to make climate change a big issue after the upcoming election. I was at the, uh, the climate strike on Friday, and I was overwhelmed and just by joy and hope that there is hope for the environment. But as I was chanting, um, contact your MP and tell them what you need. After this election is over, no matter who gets in, contact your MP and tell them, we want action and we want it now because otherwise they'll do pretty well kind of what they've been doing. But we need to let them know we need action now. We've got to do something about the environment. Otherwise, no matter what happens, we are going to be in a heck of a lot of trouble. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.